Amen. Wonderful singing. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to James chapter number one, and we're going to continue our series, Genuine Christianity. And we've been studying uh, what the first pastor of the church there at Jerusalem, Pastor James, uh, is teaching on this of trials, on really what it means to be and have genuine, authentic, real faith. All right. And so we're all the way down to verse number 13 already in James chapter number one. All right. All the way, we're going to be starting in verse number 13. But before we read that, I was, uh, I was thinking about a story that I heard uh, about uh, this guy who was really, really hungry. And uh, he was really waiting on God to supply for him uh, the food that he needed to eat, obviously, it had been just a, a, few, uh, a few hours, and he was already getting really, really hungry, and, and it had been quite a, a long time since he had eaten, and uh, yet he really wanted to wait on God for the supply of the food. He, he was really uh, wanting to exercise his faith in this area, and, and as he was waiting, a food truck actually pulled into the parking lot where he was at, and, uh, and he thought, man, this is, this is perfect. I'm I, I, I'm hungry, and a food truck has come to me. Man, God is so good. This is perfect for me. And, and he gets down, he walks over to the food truck, and, and he asks the food truck if, if he had any, any tacos. And, and the guy said, yeah, yeah, I've, I've got an order of tacos. You can get five tacos for $5. The man reached into his pockets and realized he had no money. And he was thinking, man, I'm here trying to be faithful, waiting on God to provide. And he began to share with the owner of the food truck. He said, listen, I'm really hungry. It's been a while since I've eaten. And, um, and I, I'm just kind of waiting on God to provide some food for me. And, and, uh, and I thought I had some cash. I don't have any cash. And the owner of the food truck said, man, I, I, I wish I could just give you some. I, I don't really have anything to give. I, I, uh, I, I really can't afford to do that right now, and, uh, and I'm really sorry. And so uh, the food truck owner decided, I'm going to put some tables in front of my food truck and some chairs just for those that do come and buy some food. They'd have a place to sit down and eat. Well, as the owner started doing that, he uh, left the, the door open in the back there to his food truck. And so he was in front, and he was putting tables up, and he was putting chairs up, and the guy that was really hungry noticed that. And he thought, well, I'm really hungry. God has brought a food truck. This has to be what the Lord's working, leaving a door open. This has to be right. So he goes in through the back door, just takes one order. It wasn't going to take a lot, right? He's just, he just hungry. He just needed one order of food. And so he took one order, went back to his car and ate. Now the question comes up, was the guy wrong to do that? Did God not provide a way for him to have food? Did God not provide a way for him to get the food? Was it so bad for him to do that? I mean, he was just trying to exercise faith and wait on God. And it just seemed like everything points to Here's some food for you. I mean, really, who's at fault and who would fault the guy being hungry with no food and this food truck owner that has like a heart of stone that doesn't want to even give him $5 worth of food? Who can blame the guy for doing that? 
and you think, is it really that bad? Is it really wrong? Was he not exercising faith there? Sometimes as pastors, you get some of these situations asked to you, and they want you to answer. So, so whose fault was it? Well, why, what happened? Is it wrong to do that in that situation? And I always say, man, that's a great question. Well, as we read what James has to say in verse 13, I think he answers that question. He answers the question, was it wrong for that guy or not? Is that something that God would look upon as wrong or not? Because so far, James has been talking about going through trials. And, and I don't know about you, but if, if I go a lot of hours, if I even go a day without eating, I call that a trial, okay? That is a difficulty in life. That is a tough situation. And James says, God allows tough situations to come in our life. We've talked about this in this series. And in verse number two, he said, you ought to be joyful when God allows these things to come into your life. And so trials from the outside come into our life. And, and the word there, if you read in the King James Version in verse number two, he says, when you fall into divers temptations, right? But then you get to verse number 13 and he uses that word temptations again. Now, we said in verse number two, according to context, really, James is talking about trials, difficult situations like not eating for a while and being hungry. That's a difficult situation. But now I want you to read, and let's read what verse 13 says as James is speaking and teaching and writing to these people. He says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning." Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. James here is addressing the situation of that guy that's hungry, going through a trial, and then making a decision. And this morning we're going to look at, was that decision right or wrong? What happens when our faith is tested in the same way? How are we to respond and what are we to do? Well, before we answer that question, let's go ahead and ask God to just give us wisdom, give us the leading of his spirit as we study his word this morning. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for allowing us to be here this morning. I thank you, Father, for your word because it is in your word that we find truth. It's through your word that we can find life and life everlasting. This morning we have in our hand your written word. But it was the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you sent to this earth that we might have life and life more abundantly. And so, Father, as we think about what we've been studying on real and genuine faith, and as we try to live a Christianity that is genuine, I pray that you give us wisdom. In fact, you've said in your word in this passage, you've said, if anyone is lacking wisdom, let them ask. And so, Father, this morning, we're asking for wisdom. Give us wisdom as we study your word. Help us to understand it, and more importantly, help us to apply it into our lives. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. 
So James has written to us about trials of faith in our lives and how we should receive them in our lives. But in verse number two, he's talking about trials on the outside, right? Situations that come from the outside into our life. But what happens with the trials that come from the outside in and cause a response from the inside out? You see, because our responses to trials in life always start from the inside. The trial starts from the outside and works itself into our life. As I've said before, we don't wake up saying, man, I, I hope God allows something really difficult to come into my life. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't pray for that. We don't want that. And yet, difficult situations come into our life. But the response always starts from the inside and then works its way out. And so, if we're not careful, what happens many times is that the situation on the outside, the difficult problem that we're facing forces us to have an inward decision that's not always after God's will. And then you don't find joy in that trial. And then you miss the whole point of why God allowed that to come into your life. And guess what? When we don't learn a lesson, when we don't, when we don't pass a grade in school, what happens? <laughs> you got to retake it, Right? Uh, you, you say, well, uh, you didn't have the grade. You're not learning what you need to be learning in this grade. And because you didn't learn what you need to learn, guess what? Next year, you're going to retake the grade again. Okay. The whole purpose is for you to learn so that you can pass on to the next grade. Do you know in the Christian life, when God allows these outside trials to come into our life, he's trying to teach us something. He's trying to give us something. But if we don't receive it and if we don't learn from it, guess what? We're going to run into it again. And many times in those outside trials working in, we respond in the wrong way, not learning the lesson. And then our, our view on it is like, why would God do that? Oh, man. I mean, is it really my fault? Is it somebody else's fault? I mean, why would God do this? Why, what is God's purpose in this? And why would he allow it? Sometimes the outside working into our life actually can cause in us an inward response that isn't right. And this is what James is talking about. He's not scatterbrained here. He's saying, okay, there's outside trials. We've talked about outside trials. But what happens with the temptations within? Are those also from God? Because he said the outside trials, God allows them. But the inside trials... Are those also from God? The first thing he says is, wait, 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 wait. Before you start blaming God for things, let's look at the inside. Let's look at what temptation really is causing. Now, it's interesting that he uses the word temptation. And, and the reason, by the way, if you're, if you're reading a different version, it might say trials in verse 2, and then it's a uh, temptation in verse 13. Uh, and in the King James Version, uh, usually the, the version I preach out of, it'll have temptations on both. In the Greek, it's the same word. The same exact word in verse number 2 is the same exact word in verse number 13. The difference is in verse number 2, it's used as a noun. And in verse 13, it's used as a verb. And that, that difference actually gives a different context to it. So in verse number two, the context is trials, things that happen outside of your control that God has allowed to come into your life. In verse 13, it's things that are within your control 
that start from the inside and work themselves out. So James says, if we're not careful, we let the outside affect the inside. And it, not, it ought not be that way because when that happens, then we, we want to blame God. And so he says in verse 13, let nobody say that when he is tempted, all right, when he's tried from the inside, that he is tempted of God. Because the idea is we want to blame God. So why is it not God's fault? If James just said, well, God allows it to happen, well, then why is it not God's fault? James answers this question, the first thing in verse 13. First of all, he says, well, because God cannot be tempted with evil. So it's not God's fault because the character of God. James points to those that would be reading and learning this. He says, look at this is why it's not God's fault when we react wrong. When there is a wrong response to the trial that's coming into our life, it's not God's fault. And I'll tell you why it's not God's fault. Because of the character of God. You see, God is untemptable. I don't even know if that's a word, but it just sounds cool, so I'm, I'm using it, okay? Untemptable. That means God cannot be tempted at all. It's impossible for God to be tempted, all right? That, that word... Uh, Tempted there, it means to be lured away for a sinful purpose. Now, for us, sin is tempting. It sounds good. It looks good. Man, it appeals to us. Sin has that effect on us, but it doesn't on God. I mean, it, it almost, now, I, I don't know if you've ever seen this. I, I, when I was visiting uh, in the Philippines, and I think it was 2010 that me and my wife went, um, we, we went to some small villages that were outside of the capital, and, and one of them that we visited had a cesspool. Has anyone ever seen a cesspool or know what a cesspool is? A cesspool is, they, they used to use this, especially when there's no, like, city water and things, and, and basically what it is is that all of the... Um, excrement, I guess that's would be the best word all right, for kids that don't know that. Um, when you have to use the restroom, all that you do in the restroom flows into the cesspool. And everybody's goes into the cesspool in that city. All right. They, they have it flow into that. Okay. And it's disgusting. And here in America, we don't have running, you know, uh, city water. They, they have septic tanks, right? Uh, and it all goes in there. Listen, there's nobody in here that's ever thought, let me go jump in that, okay? It just smells disgusting. It looks disgusting. Listen, I didn't even get that close to it, okay? It was pretty far. It was probably like to the back doors. And I remember looking at that. I remember I could smell it. And I thought, what the heck is that? That's what it was. It was accessible. Disgusting. Didn't even want to look that way. I didn't, it just, you could just, oh. Just thinking about it right now makes me want to throw up, so I'll stop, stop thinking about it and stop talking about it. You know, that's the effect that sin has with God. It's not even a temptation. It's not even a thought. It's like, no, no, I'm not doing that. But for us, man, it's, it's something that it, it just sounds good. It appeals to our appetite. So, James says this, first of all, let me tell you why temptation doesn't come from God, because he cannot be tempted with evil. He's untemptable. He doesn't look at it that way 
at all. In fact, Peter said it this way, 1 Peter 1, in your notes, 15 and 16, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. In other words, in your life, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. The holiness of God, the character of God, makes it unable, impossible for God to be lured by anything evil or sinful. Anything that is wrong morally at all, God has no way of even being tempted by that. You can rest assured, listen, God will never sin in the future. He's never sinned in the past. He's not sinning in the present. He'll never sin in the future because his character makes it impossible. He's untemptable. So James says, look at his character. He's untemptable. Secondly, he cannot tempt anyone. He cannot tempt others to sin because he's not tempted by it. It's, it's, it's a matter of because it's his character, he cannot. He doesn't like it, nor does he tempt anyone to do it. Because it is evil, because he is holy, he cannot do that. He'll never bring a desire into someone's heart to disobey or to do something morally wrong or to do something evil or sinful. God will never do that. James says, because God cannot be tempted by evil because of his character. And because of his character, just like because he's holy, he cannot be tempted because he's holy, he ain't going to tempt anyone either. So, when we sin, when we do something that is wrong, is it God's fault? James says, no way. Yeah, but look at the circumstance I was in. Didn't God allow that circumstance to happen? Yeah, he allowed it to happen. But he didn't give you that inward decision to live out that way. And to act out that way. You know, it's funny, when you, when you talk about um, the story of Adam and Eve, and, and many of us are pretty familiar with the story of Adam and Eve, what do we say? Who do we say that Adam blamed when God asked him? Right? Everyone said, Eve, Eve. But you notice in Adam's response, he didn't just say, well, God, I don't know, Eve, Eve ate it, gave it to me. He didn't say that. So are you sure he didn't say that, Pastor? He did not say, well, Eve ate it, I mean, I don't know, she just gave it to me. Notice what he said. I put this in your notes. And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to me. Who's Adam blaming? God. Not blaming Eve. Probably he, he, he had to have been married for a while by this time, apparently, because uh, <laughs> he knew better than that. I'm not blaming her. No, no, no. No, he's blaming God. He said, God, the one you gave me. You know what happens? Sometimes trials, God allows trials to come in our life. We don't respond the right way. We don't learn the lesson. We don't feel the joy that we're supposed to be feeling. God says, you got to be happy. There's joy in this. There's something I'm giving you. There's something I'm teaching you. But when that doesn't happen, our tendency is, well, God, I mean, ain't that the husband you gave me? Ain't that the wife you gave me? Isn't this what you did? If we could go back to the opening story, hey, you said you were going to supply my needs, God. You brought the truck. You made that guy forget to leave the, the door closed. I mean, it was open. God, <laughs> you got to take a little bit of the blame here. And James says no. See, God doesn't get tempted and because he doesn't get tempted because of his character, he doesn't tempt anyone either. 
that inside decision that's working its way out isn't from God. You say then, if it's not God's fault, it's got to be others' fault. I mean, it's got to be the food truck owner's fault then. He was the one that was careless. He was the one that was heartless. Didn't we want to give me food? It's got to be his fault. Let me tell you what James would say to that. He'd say, not only is it not God's fault because of his character, but it's not others' fault because of the cause of sin. James, you, you, you can't blame others on this either. In fact, look what he says in verse number 14. He says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his, and here's the key word, his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and, de- uh, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You know, I have found this to be true. We love to blame others, don't we? I mean, as people, as human beings, as, as people that are, have a fallen nature, man, we're good at this. Blaming others is always easy. I've seen this. If you've played any kind of uh, sports or done anything like that, that requires a team, don't we always do this? I, I see this at every level. Like I, I, I've been to a few elementary basketball games this year, to some middle school, to some high school. I've watched some college basketball. I've even watched NBA basketball. And I've noticed this. Somebody throws a bad pass and they go, I told you to move. I mean, I, yeah. And you watch the play. And usually if you just watch who the coach is getting on to, you know who it was, you know whose fault it was. Earlier this year, it was amazing. Uh, two players for the University of Texas at the end of one game, I mean, they were going at each other. Teammates going at each other, blaming each other for some play that went wrong. And we look at it, the announcers looked at it, they're going, what in the world is going on? As fans, we're going, what, what, what is the coach doing? What, what, what are these players doing? You know what they're doing? Blaming each other. Because that's easy to do. We love doing that. We love blaming others. And James knows this, and he says, listen, before you blame others for your decisions in life, understand it's not their fault. It's not God's fault because he's untemptable and he doesn't tempt anyone, but it's not others' fault because if you look at the cause of sin, where that started, what the source of this was, then you'll find out who's at fault. You see, because sin starts with our own lust. It's within each of us to desires, desire sin because of our nature. In fact, uh, there's a twofold process that happens when being tempted. First, he says we're drawn away. Now, now the, the word picture here that, that, that you and I need to have, and I forgot my fishing pole. I was going to bring a fishing pole. Um, is a fishing pole, a fisherman. You know what you put on the line as a, uh, as a fisherman uh, when you're going fishing? Uh, you, you're going to get the fishing pole. Um, and usually, uh, if you buy one uh, at the store, it doesn't have anything on the string there. You've got to put a, a weight, right, because you want it to go to the bottom, uh, or you can put a floater, depending on what kind of fish you're trying to catch. But every fisherman, every fisherman, whether you're trying to catch something that's on the bottom of the ocean or something that swims near the surface of the ocean, every fisherman puts a hook on their line. 
That's like a no-brainer. Everybody puts a hook because what the hook will do is it'll bring the fish to you. It draws the fish to you. And James says, when temptation comes, it starts inside and it starts by seeing what it can draw to you. It's the hook that draws it. Now, whenever we're in that position of, of drawing, you, you, the, 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 uh, the idea here that James is saying is that's what lust is. It's, it's the hook that's going to start trying to catch, catch something. And that speaks of the power, by the way, of sin. Very rarely, now it does happen, but very rarely does a hook get caught into a fish and the fish gets away. And usually it's because the fisherman didn't put the right line or where the fishing pole wasn't strong enough and the fish was too big for it. But that's so rare. I mean, even, even sharks get caught. You just got to have the right fish, or the right hook, I should say. And James says, that's what lust does. It's the hook. But he says, the hook is to draw you. It's the power behind that. It's, it's what gives you the, the, the desire. And most of the time, hooks are pretty shiny because the little glimmering stuff, they say, is attractive to the fish. And so he sees something glimmering. He goes, oh, that, that looks, what is that? Starts getting curious and goes that way. That's what lust does. But then he says, not only are you drawn away from your own lust, but then it says, and enticed. He continues with the word picture. Entice literally means to bait. So here's what sin does. It starts within us, and we start saying, man, uh, that looks good. That's, that's, that's kind of attractive, and you start swimming towards it, and then you see there's a bait on it. Everybody that's fishing and wants to catch fish, you put like shrimp there, you put a worm, you put something that the fish likes, something that he's going to try to swallow whole because as soon as you swallow it then the the hook is in them and you can draw them out he said he says that that's what sin does it starts first with us looking at something desiring that you remember eve bible says the first thing she did was looked at the fruit and it looked good Already, that's how sin was working, that, that lustfulness of, I, I want that. And there was a hook in that that was going to draw her out, but, but the bait looked just so tasty. James says, when it comes to sin, that's, that's what happens. It happened to David. It happens to all of us. Dave, David one day didn't go to battle. It's there in your notes for 2 Samuel 11, verse 2, came to pass. David got on his rooftop and he looked and saw a woman that was beautiful to look upon. Man, there's the hook, there's the bait. The, the power and the perception of sin. The power to draw you out and the bait, the perception of how good it might be how fulfilling and satisfying it'll look like. And we all follow that thinking that's what's going to, it's going to help me. Because sin starts with our own lust, but then you find that sin, in, sin ends with our own death. James goes from the picture of fishing, 
having the trap, that hook and the bait, to now this picture of conception. He says, now when sin, when sin hath conceived, it says right here uh, in verse number 15, then when lust hath conceived, it gets impregnated. That's literally what it means. It gets impregnated with sin. Whenever we follow our lustful desires, sin is always going to be born. And it's, it's interesting because here it doesn't have an article in the word sin. It doesn't say the sin because sin is different. Our lusts and our appetites are different. See, what tempts you may not tempt somebody else, but you have things that tempt you that you lust after. And it doesn't matter what you lust after, what they lust after. As soon as that lust has brought forth, as soon as you follow that lust, the power and the perception of that sin, as soon as that becomes a reality in your life, it impregnates sin, brings sin. And James says, sin, sin becomes a reality in your life. That if you give sin, by the way, as you start raising sin in your life, this little child, this little pet thing in your life that you like to feed, this bad habit, this wrong thought, this wrong lifestyle, as you begin to feed it, it begins to grow. And that child called sin, as it begins to grow, it also brings its own fruit. And the fruit that it brings, the the conception that sin brings is death. James says it, it can't be others' fault because it's your lust that it starts with and it's your death that it brings. Death simply means separation. That's what the word literally means. We all will never die. Whether people believe in God or not, you'll never stop existing. You'll just either die eternally or you'll live eternally. That's the only choice there is. We don't cease to exist. You either live eternally or you die eternally. That's why sin brings about death. It's just something that continues, a separation from God, a separation from good. And James says, see, that... That's why it's not other people's fault. That's why it's your fault. It's your lust that brings sin, and it's your sin that brings about death, separation, separation from you and others. That's why some of the results that we see of sin can be loneliness and depression. We we can see that. It's not always that, but it can produce that hate and anger towards others. It It can do that. Because it separates, that's what sin does. It tries to separate us. It always does that. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. People go, well, whose fault is it? It's not God's fault. James says, he can't be tempted, nor does he tempt anyone. It's not others' fault because lust starts in your life. And it produces sin in your life. So here's the truth of the matter that James is saying. It's actually my fault. But I love the way that James ends this idea. 
this reality, this truth. Notice what he says in verse 16 now. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And of his own will begot he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. He says, listen, when you realize that it is your fault, there's something that you have to remember, something you have to look at, something you have to take into account, and that is the grace of God. James says, listen, yes, it is your fault. Temptation within is not because of the circumstances I was in, I had to do it. You, you, you've heard that excuse before, the devil made me do it. Oh, it's somebody else's fault. James says, no, it's your fault. It was your lust. It was the bait that you ate that brought about sin. And when sin conceives, it brings forth death. It's your fault. But let me tell you about, don't be led astray. Don't think that that's the end of the road. It ain't the end of the road. You don't have to end in separation. Why? Because of God's grace. He said, don't be led astray by, well then I can never do what's right. No, no, you, you can. You can because, because of God's grace. So don't be led astray by that. He said every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Let me tell you something. James says, I want you to understand that God is good all the time. Even when I mess up and I follow my lust, even when you, you mess up and you follow your lust and you have sin in your life and it's bringing death into your life, bringing separation, he says, just don't be led by that kind of life. Understand the grace of God. The grace of God is this, that God is good all the time. Look at the work of God. He is the one that is good and given. If, if you read that uh, the, the first part of the verse, every good gift and every perfect gift, it sounds like repetitive, but it's not repetitive. What it is is, if you, if you want to kind of translate a little more literally, he said every good giving is from God. So the act of giving itself is from God. He's saying, uh, if, you, if you even think about just giving, and by the way, there's no one in here that's ever given a gift to someone and just like felt terrible about it, right? We don't, we don't go to birthday parties and go like, ah, I have to give you this gift, ah. No, there's something about it that you're like, man, this is great. There's a, there's a certain joy in giving, right? And, and, when, and usually when we're giving something, we want them to open it right there. You want them to be surprised. You want them to be like, yes, this is what I wanted, right? Nobody wants to be like, oh, socks, thanks. I, you know, no, 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 we always want to give gifts that are like, yes, you know, this is exactly what I needed. And, and there's a joy in just giving it that way. And so... James says, listen, good giving, this, this, this idea, that's God. God is good all the time. And so he's always giving good. That's why he can't tempt you. That's why it's not God's fault if things are going bad in your life. In fact, if anything's going good in your life, understand that's because God is in your life. That's because God is good and giving. And then the word, uh, the phrase, and every perfect gift, that means the gift that was received. So Here's what, what James is saying. God is good in giving to us, and then what he gives is awesome also. Not just the fact that he's giving to us. How awesome is that? We don't deserve it. We're the ones that are being led astray by our own lust, and we're the ones that are birthing sin in this world. We're, we're what makes this world as bad as it is. People want to say, oh, it's the government. Oh, it's, uh, it's this nation. Oh, it's this and that. No, 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 no. It's us. 
We're the reason the world is as bad as it is because we're the ones that are bringing sin into this world. It's, it's, it's coming out of us, each and every one of us. And yet, James is saying, but just remember this. God is good all the time. If anything that you can think about that's been good in your life, you've had a good teacher that helped you. You had a good neighbor that was there for you. You had a good friend that was uh, there in the moments of difficulty. That's a gift from God because he's good at giving. And then his gifts are awesome. His gifts are wonderful. Every perfect gift, not just what he gives, but how he gives it. I mean, this is God. God is good all the time. It'll never change. And so, James says, yeah, it's your fault, but think about the grace of God, how good it is. Don't be led astray, but understand, God is good. And that goodness of God and that grace of God brings about salvation in our life. I love what James says in verse number 18, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. Perhaps the greatest truth about God's goodness is this of salvation. God didn't want to give us a good experience. God didn't just want to give you and I a good life. God wanted to give you and I himself. That's a great gift. He could have said, well, I just want everybody to have these possessions. But as we all know, possessions are so temporary, they come and go. Oh, but when, you, when someone is given of themselves, wow. Money can't buy that. There's nothing in life that can replace that. James says, this is what you and I need to remember. Yeah, it is our fault. When sin comes into our life, it's not God's fault. But, man, the grace of God is so amazing because you see how good God is and you see what he gives us as a result of that grace and that is salvation. In fact, he said it's of God's will. This is how Peter said it. It's there in your notes, 2 Peter 3, 9. He says, the Lord is not slacking concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's will is that you and I have that salvation. God's grace is so great that he says, I want everybody to experience what I have to give. I don't want anyone to have to be separated by death. Yeah, it is the reality of the world we live in, but man, there's something that can change your reality today, and that's the grace of God. And God says, hey, I'm not just giving it to a few. I'm not just giving it to those that live in the city of Mission. No, no, no. Uh, those in La Jolla need it, and those in Westaco need it, and those in Alamo need it, and Edinburgh need it, and McAllen need it. Listen, it's free for everybody if you just want to come and get it. That's why Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am that fountain of living water. If you drink of me, you'll never thirst again. People ask him, oh, where, where's that water? Where, where's that water mill that I can get that? He said, no, 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 I'm not talking about physical water. I'm talking about spiritual water. I'm talking about eternal life. Not just the life that's here on this, in this world and in this earth. No, no, I'm talking about something way beyond that. Way bigger than that. The grace of God is for those that will come and trust in Him. And that's, that's what the word of truth is. It's that gospel message. It's the, the message that says, yeah, it's your fault. 
but you don't have to die in your sin. Because God showed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The death on the cross is the grace of God shown to you and me. It's the door that leads us to life eternal. I love what Titus chapter 3 says in your notes. Verse 3 says, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Doesn't that sound like a sinful life? Doesn't that sound like what lust brings into the life of a person? But then he says, but after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, obviously, because we're hateful, we're malice, and we have envy and all the lists that he just said. But he said, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration, by the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's your fault, yes. But look at the grace of God. James says, yeah, life's tough. And sometimes we respond to the difficulties of life in a wrong way. Sometimes we're like that guy saying, I'm just hungry. It looks like God's leaving that door open for me. Maybe I should go in and steal. And God says, no, 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 no. It might sound like it's the right opportunity, but it's the wrong thing to do. And I'm not leading you to do that. I'd never lead you to do something wrong or immoral. But if that's the decision you have made, don't, don't end it there. There's a grace that I have given to you so you don't have to live that way. So you don't have to have that inward decision and, and, and think and control your life. In fact, I'm going to give you my spirit to live in you to overcome those thoughts. To have victory against the lusts that are in our flesh, in our old nature. So this morning, when you think about, and whose fault is it when we sin? Well, it's not God's. It's not others. It's only ours. But here's what we take away from this. And this is what James wanted those that he's writing to to remember. Take this away. The grace of God is what real faith sees when facing temptation and overcoming in life. The grace of God. It's not my church attendance. It ain't your church attendance. It's the grace of God. Oh, but it, it's, it's me volunteering to help uh, different organizations. No, it's the grace of God. Oh, it's, it's me not going to those places and avoiding uh, those, those sinful places with those sinful people. No, it's the grace of God. That, that's what it is. The grace of God will lead us away from those things. Absolutely. God will never lead you into a sinful lifestyle. Absolutely. But it's because of God's grace. If you're living in a way that's pleasing to God, it's the grace of God working in you. Not because you're so good, so smart, so great. No, no, no. It's because he's that great. And James says when facing trials, when facing temptation, the answer to both is the grace of God. It's the gospel that's the remedy of sin. It's the gospel that's the result of trials in our life. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you're facing a trial or you've 
fallen into a wrong decision because of your own lust and you've brought forth sin in your life, look to the grace of God. It's the same. It's the grace of God that will lead you. It's the grace of God that will bring you out of that mess. So in the midst of a trial or one that has just fallen because of wrong decisions, look to the grace of God. Perhaps you're here this morning and you've never looked to the grace of God. In other words, you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin. You're still living in that life of sin and there's separation because of that. And you can't find happiness and you cannot find joy and you don't find satisfaction because this life can't give that to you. And you'll never find it within. I know the world says, oh, look in your heart. Let your heart lead you. Your, your heart's going to lead you into your lustful. And you're going to be enticed. And you're going to have sin come forth. And then sin's going to bring forth death. That's why you don't need to follow your heart. But if you follow the grace of God, wow, it changes everything. This morning, I want to encourage you. If you never made that decision, make the decision to look to the grace of God. He'll save you tonight. He'll give you eternal life this morning. If you look to him and receive him. Let's pray and ask God to do just that. Father, I thank you so much for your word, the word of truth. By your will, James said, we were able to see your grace and enjoy your grace and have your grace. Father, I don't know what outside influences and trials are in our life today. I don't know what all of us are facing, but I know we're all facing something. And I don't know what the lust that we have inside our response is to some of those trials or even what our response is in our daily life. But I know that, Father, many times we want to blame others for where we're at. Sometimes we even want to blame you. Oh, Father, help us to not look at who to blame in our life for where we're at. Help us to realize it's us that's the problem. And the solution isn't going to be us because if we look to ourselves, we're only going to find more problems. Help us to look to your grace. It is your grace that gives life eternal. It is your grace that gives us and makes us the first fruits, the, the part that makes us your family. It's your grace and your grace alone. It's your grace that teaches us the lessons of the trials that you've allowed into our life. Help us, Father, to look towards your grace this morning. This morning, as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, perhaps you're here this morning saying, you know what, Pastor? That's what I'm facing right now. I'm facing a trial. I'm going through it right now. And my inward attitude hasn't really been the right kind of response. In fact, I have been looking to see if it was somebody else's fault. But I realize that scripture teaches it's my fault. And what I need this morning is more of the grace of God in my life. Would you just pray for me, pastor, that God's grace would lead me and guide me in my life. Is there anyone like that? Just said, pray for me. I see that hand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I see those hands. God bless you. Perhaps this morning you're here and you're saying, you know, pastor, to be honest, I've never even tasted of the grace of God. I can't think of a moment in my life where I actually asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins and be my Savior. There hasn't been a time where I've allowed the grace of God 
to make me right with him, to make me part of his family. But I'd like to make that decision today. If that's your heart's decision this morning, would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to accept Christ as my Savior. God bless you. Anyone else? Uh, just pray, pray for me, Pastor. That's a decision I need to make. Father, this morning, we have heard your word and we have responded. And now we ask that your Holy Spirit would help us to apply it into our lives, to live it out. What we want this morning, what we desire more than anything is a genuine, real faith. We want you to work in our life. We want your grace to be something that, that gets us out and that leads us and guides us. Oh, may it be your grace this morning that we turn to. May it be your grace that brings the light and the darkness of this world in our life. And may we ever be close to that grace. May we ever be thinking upon and living by that grace. Lead us, I pray, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.